Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Today's show is brought to you by OnPay, the new standard in payroll. You can pay employees and contractors in minutes, automate your payroll taxes and filings, as well as provide health benefits and HR in all 50 states. For more information, visit buildingthefutureshow.com slash onpay. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Jayanth Raju. He's the co-founder and CEO at Banyan. Jayanth, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Kevin. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you guys are doing at Banyan Security is actually really innovative and cool. But maybe before we get into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. Yeah, I I actually grew up in uh, Bangalore in India. It's uh, one of the, uh, I would say, now it's a much bigger city than it was when I when I was growing up. Uh, it 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 was like the it was called the Garden City when I was growing up, and now it's probably more called the IT Hub of India because there were, there have been like so many, yeah, so many IT companies have come up, and it's uh, it's the hub there. So yeah, it's it's uh, it was a it was a very different experience than what it is today. So even now, when I go back, it feels so different from what it was. So that's cool. So you you went to university. What did you take, and why? Yeah. So actually, I was. Uh, I think I blame my sister a little bit. My older <laughs> sister. She was in science, <laughs> and I always thought it was pretty interesting. And uh, I liked technology a lot uh, growing up. And as I said, you know, like the, one of the main things in in Bangalore I saw firsthand was how it was completely transforming uh, the middle class, I would say, in the way people thought about technology and how it influenced people's lives. And so I was always fascinated by it. And then uh, I got the opportunity to, you know, like go to uh, uh, this undergrad uh, college in India called Bits Bilani. It's one of the top private institutions there and study computer science. And so that's what I did. I did my undergrad in computer science and it was, uh, it was a, I would say it was a very interesting experience doing that because it was, you know, like this, it, it was literally in the middle of a desert, this particular school, uh, but it was like an oasis in the middle of it with like, you know, all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, birds and trees and whatnot. And it was like, hey, okay, you go there to just, you know, be with nature and study. So that's what it was. So it was a lot of fun. That sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. So... You get out of university, walk me through your journey of coming to the States and up until Banyan Security. Sure. Yeah. So this is, again, uh, something that uh, it was a path that my sister, I think, forged a little bit because she actually came here to the U.S. Ah. And then uh, before, uh, like when she graduated from school and I was like, okay, at some point I need to figure out what I want to do. And I was always fascinated about, you know, like what I could uh, do with the technology that I could potentially, you know, like whatever I learned, like how could I really use it? And I always felt that the best way to do it is 
in fact, to kind of get really deep and understand it like right from the bottom, you know, like especially computers, right? I want to understand it right from the lowest level of the stack, which is like transistors, all the way to the highest level programming language and see what what it is and why is it and why it was built a certain way and all that. So I was always very fascinated by it. And so once my once I did my undergrad, I was like, okay, it's time to go and get deeper into it. And US has always been a place that has been, you know, like at the forefront of a lot of these technologies in terms of how people have thought about it. And a lot of the innovations actually came from here, as you know very well. So sure. it was, uh, yeah, I was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, like get into, uh, I came to University of Maryland and did my master's there and then came to Stanford and did my PhD. And uh, it's one of those things where, uh, uh, you know, like from the very beginning, I've always felt that, you know, like understanding something in and out is always going to be the right way to kind of like, you know, get really comfortable with it, then you can figure out like the best way to kind of like use it for the you know, uh, betterment of the world community, whatnot. So that that was kind of the transition, I would say, like how, uh, yeah, it, that was a path basically getting from university to the US and all the way here right now. So yeah, it's been, a, it's been an incredible journey, I would say. That's awesome. So walk us through your career and coming up with the idea and deciding to actually co-found Banyan. Yeah. So um, uh, I think a lot of uh, history for me at least goes back to my, uh, uh, my PhD at uh, Stanford. Uh, so at, at Stanford, I did my PhD working with uh, Professor Mendel Rosenblum. He's, uh, uh, for those of you that don't know, he's actually the founder of VMware. Oh, wow. uh, and he's cool. uh, and he's been uh, you know he's been an inspiration and uh, an advisor to me for the last you know, like almost two decades now and he's wow. been amazing him there um, so when I, so that's one of the things when I was doing a PhD I was like you know one of the, I actually got a really close look at how VMware itself was built uh, sure. it I was one of those people that landed up at uh, uh, you know like at Stanford after the people that started VMware come up with the students. <laughs> So I was a little late to get there, but it was fun to see how the company was getting built and what was being done and all that. And what was amazing to me was that how uh, VMware was like, you know, making compute really, really simple and accessible to, uh, you know, kind of, I would say the masses, right? It was like, you know, before people had to go and, you know, go to a physical machine, press a button, you had a new machine come up and then you start using it. And uh, VMware completely transformed it, and especially on the data centers and you know server side on the enterprise side, by kind of creating this abstraction that enabled people to like you know on demand get virtual machines to play with, and that to me was like uh, was like a you know like an eye opening moment about how you know the world needs to kind of like start thinking about how things can be consumed more simply than anything else, and that is the one that drives. Uh, you know, a company to become more successful than anything else. So a lot of those learnings was what uh, initially started piquing my interest about what is the right thing to build. Uh, And then I landed up at VMware at some point, and I was actually looking at um, a couple of huge trends that were going on. Uh, One was around, uh, uh, you know, the adoption of hybrid and multi-cloud, like uh, as you are very well aware, AWS and others started coming in and people started going into like not just data centers where VMware was dominant, but also into the public cloud environments with, uh, you know, Amazon's uh, AWS and Google's Google Cloud, GCP, 
and then uh, Microsoft's Azure. So these are all like coming up and people were actually having applications kind of spread across all these different environments. And these are really distributed and scattered across the whole wide world. Uh, and that was one trend on the application side. And on the other side, there was about, you know, workforce that was getting truly remote, right? And it was like people spread across the whole wide world again, and it was different types of users. It was not just employees anymore. It was also partners, contractors, suppliers, vendors, and so on that were trying to, uh, you know, like uh, access corporate resources. And so uh, VMware also acquired a company called Airwatch around that time to kind of like, you know, so that is actually, a, you know, that's a big trend where we need to kind of figure out what do you do with all this mobile workforce and mobile devices and so on. Uh, yeah, so I, I was like looking at all these trends, it was like, and I was contributing in my own way to VMware and so many, other, so many aspects there, but I was like, this, these things were a big trigger to see that, okay, maybe it's time to kind of step out and kind of think about it from a clean slate as to what's the right kind of uh, thing to be built out here, uh, you know, for this new world we were going towards. That's how, that's when I left uh, VMware and got together with two of my co-founders, Yosho and Tarun. Uh, so again, I've known these guys for about 20 years, I say, that's probably great. more. That's great. Yeah. So yeah. So it's it's uh, the funniest part of that. Yosho actually was my uh, uh, was my mentor actually at HP Labs when I did my internship there. This was like you know my I think second internship in the US or something, and he was a mentor there and. I was always like, you know, if I ever start a company, it would be someone like him. Uh, he he brought so much, uh, you know, like distributed systems and, you know, networking and security experience to the mix that it was going to be great to have him when uh, we start anything there. Uh, and I've known Tarun again, like also for a very long time, right from the undergrad days, uh, all the way to uh, grad school at Stanford, we overlapped as well. And, uh, yeah, he uh, he also brought a very different perspective uh, coming from more, you know, like the mobile background and coming from proxies background and stuff like that, which was uh, very different from the way I was thinking about some of these problems. And so it was, yeah, the three of us got together and said, let's build something fun. So that's how we got started. Cool. So how did you guys come up with the idea? And then did you self-fund the first versions or, or walk us through that? Yeah, yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty interesting story too. So, it it was uh, one of those things where uh, you know, like, there are companies that usually you know that my at least my colleagues that left VMware they raised a lot of money and then they went and built the product and then after that you know they kind of grew from there. Uh, in our case, it was more like you know we we went to StarTex, which was like the Y Combinator but for Stanford people oh. as like the starting point a little bit. Uh, and we got our start there, but to kind of think through this, but we, we are also, the three of us are ardent builders. We were like, you know, we know what, we know how to build stuff. We know how to build scalable systems. We know how to build security. We know how to, how to build it ourselves. So let's just go ahead and do it first okay. and see what we can actually, you know, uh, and have iterations with the customers to see what resonates and what makes sense. And so that's what we did. We, spent the first, you know, like, uh, yeah, we didn't take much money or anything. It was more like we just went and said, okay, let's go build it for the couple, first couple of years. That's what we did. We, we called it, we, you can call it a garage, if you will. We poor thing. We, we actually used uh, Yoshio's uh, one floor of his apartment. He actually has two floors in his apartment, believe it or not, in San Francisco. So <laughs> we used one of his 
uh, yeah, we kind of use that floor. We can call it the lower level garage or whatever. And that's where we kind of spent our time in like building out uh, the product and the V1, if you will, and then getting a lot of feedback from customers about like what makes sense and what doesn't and what is the main problem to be solved. And it was more and more clear that in this market, uh, the, you know, like we were looking at, you know, like secure access in general and trying to figure out what, what makes most sense. Because as I said, you know, with these two trends, it was obvious that, you know, like, you know, kind of like, you know, access is going to be a big, big part of the deal moving forward, like connecting these two pieces, right? And the, the state of the world was to use VPNs. And uh, as you very well know, VPNs is like a 20 year old technology that just wasn't built for this kind of world, right? It was built for a world where you had, you know, like, uh, once in a while, a few people sitting at home, you know, like working uh, remotely to connect to their system uh, at work, uh, potentially a VPN gateway, and then from there access their applications, right? And that was, you know, the model that was very well, you know, suited for, you know, like 20 years back when that was yeah, the state of the world. Right? Where you, yeah, clumsy and, you know, like, it was, uh, it was just a... Uh, you know, it was it, it just wasn't you know thinking about this dynamic and distributed applications and users and stuff. It was just not the way they thought about it when they designed it, and it served its purpose really well. But the problem that has happened is that people are trying to you know like repurpose it now for this new world, and that is where that is where the problem starts coming in. And so, the more interviews we did, the more it was obvious that you know like the secure more access and rethought in a completely new manner for this new world is what is really needed. And so that's where we, we kind of like, you know, started spending a lot of time about what's the right way to build the system and iterate on it. And so that's what we did. And then we had our first set of paying customers and only then we went and raised our round. And we got, uh, then we kind of took off. Got you. So how did you, were you guys working uh, full time or, or doing some contract work or how did you guys survive before you had customers and you were working in one of your co-founders uh, apartments? Yeah. So uh, the interesting part is we said, you know, like, you know, we don't need too much money right now. We are okay with where we are. Uh, let's just go full time into this and building okay. it. Uh, and we just, uh, you know, like, uh, we we start, we said we live off our savings basically gotcha. the first couple of years to make it happen. Um, yeah, it it was one of those times where we had to kind of say, you know, like how committed are we to building something that we're really passionate about building? Right. And you know, we thought about this optionality of you know like potentially working somewhere and doing this, but that just doesn't work out very well usually. You know, it's very hard to do it, and especially if you're committed to building something like this, it's important to kind of have your full focus and commitment. So that's why we did it that way. Got you. No, that, that makes total sense. So how does Banyan work exactly? And how does a company leverage your technology? Yeah, yeah, sure. So uh, at a very high level, the, we provide, you know, like employees and third parties secure more access to the corporate resources without the need to use VPNs. Uh, so the uh, so the way it works is that, you know, like instead of thinking about creating like network-based tunnels, that's mm -hmm. what VPN was, like from your laptop, for example, to your data center uh, and, you know, a colo location and from there to your applications, it's much more about trying to figure out like, you know, how, what makes most sense to give uh, somebody access. Like for example, it's about, it's not just about Kevin getting access to some corporate application. It's about Kevin 
working on his uh, Windows laptop, you know, that hasn't been patched, sitting in like Starbucks, trying to access sure. his you know, your Salesforce application as opposed to your cafeteria application, right? Like, you know, the kind of like bringing the whole context into the mix to figure out like what exactly you're trying to do. And then uh, the security in the background is going to look at all this and say, okay, based on all this, I'm going to say that Kevin is allowed to access, you know, a cafeteria application, no problem, because there's no, you know, there's nothing there. But if he wants to access Salesforce, I want some, I want him to be in a much more better security posture. Okay. Like, you know, I want you to be patched up. I potentially want you to kind of like, you know, be in some certain location if I want you to and so on. Right. So that becomes more like kind of adding context to the mix to kind of uh, allow secure remote access. And so you kind of completely change the ball game in terms of, you know, you don't think about the network anymore. So there's no network smarts. There's no, you know, like reliance on network, the VPNs kind of like, you know, built these private tunnels and, uh, what, you know, like there's no difference between working from inside the company versus outside the company because, hey, inside the company, you have a different context, but that's context is what's going to get used to allow you access to certain things. But we don't care the fact that you're inside or outside anymore. Interesting. So, so, so wait, just so I understand you correctly, and this is maybe like a harsh example. So I can use Banyan on an outdated unpatched, unsecure network at like a public coffee shop and not have to worry about security, you guys handle that? Or how does that work? Exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, it's about, you know, like figuring out, uh, you know, like we what we do at the end of the day is to say, you know, based on this security posture, do we allow or not allow access to certain resources in the company? Gotcha. And these okay. are something that we expose to the IT admins, the security admins, basically, gotcha. to kind of write. So the security admins, you know, yeah, they go and say, okay, I want to take my application set and divvy it up, like irrespective of where the application is running, whether it's an on-premise, you know, it's running on your you know, data center somewhere, whether it's running on, you know, like one of the public cloud environments like Azure, AWS, or GCP, or whether it's running as a SaaS application, right, a Salesforce or Workday or whatever. Uh, it, we give the uh, we give the IT admins the ability to kind of like say, okay, what is important to them and what's not, and what's like you can think of it as a red, yellow, green, like a three three tier system, where they can say, okay, these are really sensitive applications, so I want you know any access to it needs to come from only you know uh, uh, somebody that belongs to you know this core group inside the company, uh, okay. right? And then, and then even in that, then after that, they need to have this kind of device posture, right? You know, gotcha. it has to be fully packed latest version, whatnot, and stuff like that. But on the other hand, if they want to access something less secure, less sensitive, you don't need to have that level of control. So, you know, the kind of things like that. So they, we give this, we, we kind of make this, a, uh, it's, it's much more uh, an intuitive model, right? Like before, again, if you think about VPNs, it was about, hey, what is the IP address you're coming from, right? Yeah. And what is the, you know, what is the network you're trying to connect to? Which virtual public cloud are you trying to connect to? Which VLAN are you trying to connect to? You know, that was, that that was the level of questions and the whole idea here was to completely up level it into something which was much more intuitive and you know that's where the technology in general needs to move right it needs to move to a place where it's much more you know it it, it should be obvious you know like what you're trying to do as opposed to trying to like fit it into the uh the artificial limits of the network and whatnot that people have created sure well it, you're taking the 
technical challenges off of the user, right? Because the user's not yep. always technical. And somebody that's, you know, kind of in the space, sometimes messing with VPNs and, and IP addresses and, and whatnot based on different operating systems, it, you can spend 20 minutes or or longer just trying to connect, right? Where if I can just start using something right away, obviously based around parameters um, of what I'm kind of connected to, it really takes uh -huh. away uh, or it gives the, the technical and non-technical person freedom to just basically be anywhere, right? Whether it's in the office exactly. or remote. Yeah, exactly. I think there are like, you know, if you think about it, there are like two uh, two kinds of users we're talking about, right? One okay. is the security admins that are responsible for setting these policies and stuff, right? And we need to, on one side, make it really simple for them to kind of intuitively set these policies so that they say, you know, if uh, Kevin belongs to the contractor group, he only can get access to this specific application or the specific API and so on, right? So that's one thing about making it simple. The other part is the other part was more like what you're talking about as well, which is, you know, like the end users themselves, like the employees, right. the contractors or whatever, they are using the system and it has to be completely seamless, right? It has to be, it has to feel as though, you know, like for lack of better word, I'm going to say security needs to be invisible, right? Like as when they're trying to access things. But at the same time, if there is a problem, you know, then it, uh, this is where we've kind of done some very interesting work. Uh, we said, you know, if there is a problem, then you want them to, you know, be able to see the issue so that they are part of the security solution and they can even potentially self-remediate. Like, for example, let's say you were trying to access, in this example that I gave you before, like trying to access Salesforce application without passing your laptop. Right. Imagine something that tells you, hey, I cannot give you access and just goes away. And then you are now then responsible for filing a ticket and the ID right. look at it, admin, and they're gonna have like 10 hours of discussion and then, or not <laughs> depending on what they're up to. And then finally some, you know, like somebody goes and tells you what's going on. So imagine a completely different world wherein you try to access and then it, there is something that, that's there on your laptop that tells you, hey, I can give you access, but I'm not able to give you because you haven't, you know, like updated your laptop in the last, uh, you know, you haven't updated it to this version, which is a minimum version requirement as far as this company is concerned. Right. So they could go patch it and immediately after that, they are completely unlocked. And there's no, if you think about it, there's no ticket file, there's nothing yeah. file, it's a and they are up and running, right, immediately. And yeah, so this, uh, we've taken this concept to like, you know, <laughs> I've added a lot of layers to it, but it's pretty cool because what we've done is just like, you know, a credit score kind of gives you access to, you know, like different levels of uh, uh, mortgage, if you will, uh, we've created a concept called trust score. And okay. this trust score, depending on the score you have, you can get access to the different types of resources. And so the score itself is based on what I told you, like, you know, it's based on the context of the user of the device. And we also actually integrate with all of the, like, not all, but, you know, many of the security tooling that's already in the company environment. You know, like they already, most companies already have an identity system. They have some kind of a device management system, some kind of a, you know, like a device, like endpoint detection and remediation, EDR kind of systems, SIM system, and so on. There are so many of them. So imagine something that takes all this information and at the end of the day, it gives you a score and says, this is your score. And based on this, you have access to these kinds of resources. No? That's kind of what we built out. Uh, so that's been a pretty powerful concept for, you know, like end users to see 
and uh, kind of become part of the solution, right? Like security has always been like, hey, okay, somebody's imposing something on me and I need to go do it. Right. This is much more about, yeah, this is like flipping the whole thing around and saying, hey, you are actually part of the solution. You want your company to be secure too, not just us, right? So sure. let's, let's make it happen. Yeah. No, so, that's, that's yeah, that's Yeah. So, yeah, sorry. so if, if I'm an enterprise client and I come to Banyan, how long does it take to onboard my company? I get that's really a general question. It could take probably days, weeks, or depending on what I need. But traditionally, how long does it roughly take to actually get my organization using your technology? Yeah, so that's a, that's a very good question. So there are, you know, like to kind of like prove out the concept itself is actually pretty fast. Uh, so our technology, I would say, has like uh, three pieces. One okay. is uh, an app that you need to put on your laptop. That okay. is like, you know, it's on every app store and whatnot. So it's just a click of a button, you get it there and you're done. Uh, the second piece is a SaaS platform that we maintain on our side where you, where the IT admins come in and set policies and stuff. And it's a matter of just creating an account for them so that they can come in and then start writing policies. So that's also oh, very fast. Okay. The third piece is what is actually a, like a, it's something that we deploy uh, uh, in the customer environment. And this is actually something that probably took us the longest time to build as well. Uh, this, what we call the intelligent uh, access tier. So this is, it's basically a set of like, you know, reverse proxies that get deployed really close to your application that actually are responsible for, uh, you know, like guarding access to them, you know, like, you know, they allow or disallow access. So based on all these constraints we just talked about. And that is also something that we've, we've spent a lot of time. And I think given that you are from the UX background, you, you probably appreciate it. One of the first people you hired in the company was around UX because it was like, you know, we wanted to make that part also really, really simple and easy to use. And so we've created like, you know, uh, things like, you know, cloud formation templates and whatnot that make it really simple to press a few buttons and you have this infrastructure as a software basically, right? Deployed in your cloud environment. And then once once it is there, it just connects back and, you know, like then things are, you know, things are up and running very quickly. So, yeah, I would say, you know, like, a, and we, we also integrate with, uh, you know, like the other part is, that we, we, as I said, you know, like we don't want to become the identity provider and all that, right? So every company already has a system that tracks users and, which groups they belong to and all that, right? So yeah. that's another place where people need to go and, you know, like an admin needs to do it. It's like a 10 minute job, putting it there and saying, okay, integrate with Banyan on it. So yeah, all in all, probably, you know, like uh, I would say an hour or two, you should probably at least get going enough to kind of see what the value is. Okay. Uh, and then, yeah, that, that's the beauty of it, right? You, uh, that's the other thing. I think what you're trying to get to is also very critical, which is, you know, you want a system that uh, provides more like instant gratification, right? As opposed to something that takes for like, again, you know, if you think about VPNs, traditional VPN, it's like, hey, okay, let's go order a server, let's go place it there, then let's have a way to connect to it. And, you know, it's like, oh my God, even if you move it to the software, it's still pretty painful. So this whole thing about, you know, rethinking that and making it in a form that's really easily consumable is like a big chunk of what we did. Sure. Yeah. But the problem you're solving is actually really challenging, right? Because you're integrating with a bunch of software that may play nice together, may not play nice together, somewhere in between. And then you guys have to keep up with all those integrations as well, right? And so what you the problem you guys are solving for 
companies would would require them a huge team of people and constant maintenance and uh addition of features right because what you guys are it's actually really complicated and and you guys are simplifying that complexity is that fair to say Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think if somebody that's the thing, like you know, like uh, they give you a, a rough uh, idea of the complexity. Sure. Uh, Google actually was one of the first companies that uh, put forth this idea called Beyond Corp. Uh, this was back in 2011, where Google said, you know, like uh, they actually had you know some foreign uh, hackers or whatnot, and they said they're going to move away from VPNs, and so they said we want to completely change our paradigm and you know this, this these concepts that i'm talking to you about is like something that they also personally it was pretty funny that we did it pretty independent of them but it, it actually goes back and then you look at the papers you know there's actually interesting commonality in the way we thought about things and so they actually completely revamped and you know the the, the numbers that are out there it probably you know like took them i don't know like I don't know, hundreds of millions of dollars or something you know like to kind of right. uh, get system in place and build it in a form that kind of works and uh yeah so it, this just goes it just shows you how complicated the system can get and uh we yeah for us it was you know coming from enterprise companies like you know like VMware and stuff it was we saw you know like it's important to build a system that is uh you know like that that can kind of integrate with all these things very easily. You know, you kind of like build knobs and whatnot inside the system so that it's very easy to plug in, right? You kind of build a, uh, for lack of better word, I'm going to use a platform in some places, right? So as you can actually integrate with all these other, you know, existing security tooling in a very efficient manner. Uh, so yeah, so kind of building that thing out and now being able to, that enables us to completely integrate with things very quickly is was a big, big chunk of the hard problem. And the, I would say the other part of the big problem was these, you know, just building these, uh, the, the third piece I told you about, the reverse proxies, you know, like making it really lightweight and really easy to deploy and, you know, kind of like uh, being able to, uh, I think the one part I didn't mention, which is probably the most critical of the whole thing is we wanted all these things to happen in real time, right? Like it's not even, you know, like it's like, you know, let's say there is a, on your laptop, there is a you know you, there is a virus or something that gets detected. We wanted to kind of you know as soon as that happens, we wanted the ability to completely cut off your connections to anything that you are currently accessing. So in real time, like you know in a matter of seconds. Now building a system that can actually take these signals and immediately send it to these endpoints that makes sense so that it can actually make this happen is a very hard problem to solve and we have patents around it and all that. So yeah, so it, there were a lot of fun problems that we had to solve to make this a reality. But yeah, you're totally right. If a company tries to do it itself, it's a, it's a very, very complicated problem. No, no, very cool. So I, I'm curious, obviously with all the, what's happening right now, remote work for a lot of companies is the most important thing and giving the proper access to the proper people and letting people leverage stuff that they would connect to on the office or sorry, in the office. So how did you guys almost, or, or how are you guys basically supporting companies in, in that space? And how do you add and decide what features actually get into the platform? Because you probably get requests all the time to say, you know, we need 
these 12 features and they might only need two of those or, or eight of those or, or maybe all of them. So how do you decide what to do when trying to support this whole remote working and or back in the office working when things come back to normal or new normal? Right, right. So I think there are like two parts of your question. Uh, one is around the, the current situation, the way things have happened and what the implications are. And the second part is about how do we kind of like, you know, decide on what features to add and stuff. Yeah. So to answer the first part, it's, uh, you know, like, we, yeah, we pitched this thing. We've been working on this for like, kind of four years now. And it's, uh, we always, like even last year when I actually did some kind of uh, analysis of what's happening and the remote workforce and stuff, it was about, you know, like 40% to or so of, uh, of the world's workforce, you know, like there is at least one day of the week that they work remotely from, you know, something like that is what the number that I, that I, that I figured when I'm looking at a lot of data there. And it was like, okay, the, the whole pitch was, hey, the world is going more and more remote, you know, like in the last 10 years, it's doubled, it's going to go more and stuff. Now, if you look at it, it's, it's what has happened is basically, you know, like uh, being a complete accelerator to the whole, uh, to the whole thing. Like we were expecting, you know, like, hey, okay, they say it's going to go to like, I don't know, 50% or whatever, and it's going to keep growing. But now this thing that has happened is completely, I would say, you know, accelerated the pace at which we would probably get there. I'm not saying this is, you know, like people, all of them working remotely, which is, which is right now it's become like a remote only workforce, right. so to speak, right? Is uh, is not the new normal, but definitely, uh, you know, like it has changed the way people think about remote workforce, right? And I think you you were also talking about how you know, like working a couple of days a week from home and some is something like you know, it's very common for you. And but it it's even like you know, it, even my, like my wife, for example, used to always go to work. And now the fact that she's seen what if you can actually do from home and right. get out of it, it's like it's completely changed the way she thinks about it. So it's a it's one of those things where I think the the world is recognizing more and more that remote workforce is, uh, you know, like is, is the new normal, as you said, right? And so that is a, is a big, uh, big reason why people, uh, you know, will, will probably, you know, this, this whole trend is going to get heavily accelerated this time. And uh, we, we will, uh, having a solution that actually makes sense, it's going to be very, very critical. And to top it off, you know, like, uh, as I said, you know, like VPNs where, uh, designed for like you know, 10 to 20 percent of your workforce working from home, and now it's like <laughs> yeah. it, it, the moment it starts going shooting through the roof, it's like, oh my god, what are you going to do? And so, people are you know, like from all the stories we hear now are like, hey, they have these emergency licenses and they have these you know, like they're adding more and more extra VPNs out there to kind of like you know, handle the load. These are the these are all stop gaps that we are seeing that people are trying to you know get by. But there is a more fundamental shift where people this, as you said, you know, like it will become the top of mind problem moving forward, and that's going to be a, a critical bit uh, in terms of like you know where companies uh, that are solving this problem are going to uh, experience a lot of interest. I would say from customers. On the features front, it's it's much more about you know like yeah we we've uh, we've kind of built out I would say the uh, the essential features for people to get started very quickly, right? And I think one of the things that was essential, for example, is the ability to incrementally deploy it. Like you don't want to go to a company and say, hey, rip out your VPN and put this in. You know, it's a right. very, very tough. So we kind of like built it out in a form that says, hey, put us in there. You, you can completely live alongside your VPN, no problem. Uh, you just take a couple of applications, move it over here, 
and then give you know get a few users access to it and see how you feel about it and and you know like this is this is what we started with and one of the companies is like yeah we started with 20 users and two weeks later we had like 900 of them on that so it's like it's one of those things where people you know see the value in something like this and immediately start transitioning their whole uh, remote workforce to this kind of environment so that is how I would say the the feature building is like you know build a minimum thing for them to get understand it and get to get to start using it and then obviously there are so many integrations and stuff we can figure out more with time but you know people are excited to just you know get the get everything working in you know much more uh, uh, easily much more fast and much more secure manner than they were ever possible than it was ever possible before so yeah that's been the attack there that the feature sets. No, fair enough. Where I was going to, my next question to you was going to be, I, I think, and I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple years, and I would put myself in this boat. Uh, I think people nowadays almost don't care about the actual technology. And you could even argue right. certain people don't even care about the operating system. They just <laughs> want to use their favorite browser or whatever that is, or piece of software, and they want to click the icon of the app that they need on their desktop, laptop, tablet, or phone, and mm-hmm. it just sorts itself out. Like, I want my data to be there. I want to pick up where I left off. I don't really care if it's Windows, Mac, Linux, Chrome OS, yep. Android, iOS. I-, I don't care, right? And I think more and more people are like that. And if security needs to, or if something, one of those app icons needs to be more secure than another one, then that's the technology's problem. I I just want to use what I want to use now and the tech behind it, I I don't care about, right? Like I I get that's like a very general oversimplification, but I think that's the problem you guys are ultimately solving for people, right? Technical and non-technical. That's like a that's like a really really good point that you're making, and that's exactly the way we envision the world as well. Yeah, it's a you know technology is an enabler, it but it has to be something that you know is under the hood. It's doing its job, right? right? You don't want it to come in people's faces and stop them, right? You're kind of like the the word that we started using recently, secure productivity, right? Sure. Like productivity the most important thing right because they want to just get to it they don't they don't want to be frustrated waiting for some you know like network connection to go through and you know like bad user experience and even doing anything there right it's like they just want to get to work and at the back you know so it's critical to think of this as hey it's something that's there at the back making sure the world is kosher the world is secure and everything but if you run into problems that's when you kind of do something there to kind of like you know help you uh, resolve it quickly to get back to where you want to be, right? So totally. that's the whole mentality. And kind of like, you know, this is exactly the future, right? Where, you know, tech- technology should just blur into your environment. You know, yeah. it shouldn't be something that you think about or even want to do anything with. It should just naturally, you know, play its role. <laughs> that's what you're supposed to do. That's what we are there for. Like, you know, at VMware, we used to call ourselves plumbers, right? You know, mm-hmm. like, it's like we do all the plumbing that's needed for a to talk to B and B to talk to C, all that stuff. It's, but you don't see those pipes. You only see A. You, know? yeah. you just want your job done, right? So that's, yeah, that's what the job of a lot of, uh, you know, like 
yeah, that's that's exactly right. That's pretty much our job now to kind of like make it completely seamless. Sure. Well, and and the easier it is for the user, the more work it is for you guys, really, because that's where all the hard uh, stuff happens, yeah. right? Like, and, yeah. And I think yeah, people sorry. are getting I... used to, um, especially on on the mobile OS front of things. There's a lot of times you can't use an app until you update it, right? And that goes back to your point earlier. I think people are so used to saying like, I click my app, it works. If I if it needs to be updated, or in your case, like maybe you need better security permissions, or I need to update something, it prompts me, right? Instead of putting a support request. So I think what you guys are building is actually really, basically where things are, are have been going and and already are, and it's cool to see you guys kind of at the forefront of that yeah yeah it's been it's been really exciting too and i think yeah that was uh, you know, just, as you were talking about it i was just thinking you know like even the team that we built is like has been exactly like that because on one side we hired systems people and told them you know like this is a really complicated system that you need to make sure it's always available right. you know like highly resilient and secure and everything at the same time we hired like ux and ui people that are amazing and told them there's so much complexity underneath, but we don't want anything to be visible to the top guys. How totally. do you make it happen? That's your hard, hard challenge. You go solve it, you know? Yeah. So we've been really fortunate to kind of have some of the top people, both on the systems side and the UX UI side. And so that's been, um, I would say, a, uh, yeah, building out that kind of a team has been huge for us uh, to make this happen. Sure. So you guys have been around for a while now, and you've kind of been at the forefront of some of this stuff. What advice would you give to younger entrepreneurs that want to get into the security space or other space? What have you learned that you want to maybe pass down to other people that are that are just kind of starting out or or just getting into the space? Sure. Yeah, I think a couple of things I would say. Uh, one is you know keep your uh, I think this is the theme of this day I guess keep your uh, like, you know, end user in mind, right? Like the, right. the final user of the product. Like, even though, for example, we sell to, you know, security admins and security architects and director of security and so on, what we need to keep in mind a lot is the final employee or the final, you know, like contractor or whatever that's actually using our system. Because if you think about it, they are actually the real customers of your security admins, right? They are. So, Kind of like keeping that in mind, like the end user and their experience and what it is, is so much, so much critical, uh, more critical, especially with the world, the way we are moving towards, you know, especially, you know, they, I would, I, I want to blame Apple a little bit for it, but <laughs> things that with iPhone, once it came out, everything got so simple and easy and people love the way they interacted with it, right? And yep. so that, bringing that the thing to security is probably, or even other areas, I'm sure is the same. It's like, that is probably one of the more most important things uh, in terms of like you know how you think about building and what you want to build. Uh, and the other aspect I would say is um, around building the team. Uh, okay. Team, you know, it's so it's so important to you know like be very careful in hiring people and kind of like focusing on uh, the top you know like you know like the uh, top A players I would say to kind of get into the game because you know. Uh, you know, you bring in A players and they'll bring in other A players with them, right? right. So it's, it's uh, uh, yeah, so keep that in mind because it's so tempting many times to, hey, okay, I just want this one thing done and I think I can get this person that can do it even though that person is not the best, you know? It's like, 
it's it's very tempting, but you need to always kind of like step back and say, okay, you know, it might give you the short term benefit, but the long term it's going to be, you know, you need to, it may not be the right decision, right? So yeah, those are a couple of things I would say. It's probably really really critical to get right in the, in the starting of a company. No, that that makes a lot of sense. But we're we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about you guys and any other links you want to mention? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, so our website is uh, Um And yeah, we have a lot of information there. And uh, yeah, you can, uh, yeah, we are actually currently due to coronavirus and stuff like that. We are also offering a free usage of our product okay. so that people can just, start using it and then see for themselves, you know, like what, uh, how it can really help them. And you're not, you know, like charging anything and shortly or call later once everything is done, whether you want to keep it or, you know, go back to where you were before. So, but this is like our way of, I guess, paying back a little bit uh, to the community too. Uh, but yeah, uh, this is, uh, yeah. So the website has all the information and, uh, uh, yeah, you could always, you know, we also have information there to reach us at any point, and we're all like very active in responding to people, whether it is, you know, like uh, Slack or just in text or whatever. So, uh, absolutely, do reach out there. Very cool. And your free usage button is on the is blue on the top right hand corner on on your homepage. Yeah, yeah, so exactly. Check it out. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, I, yeah. well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you. And have a good rest of your day, man. Oh, thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And thanks again, you know, like uh, it's a pleasure to talk to uh, people like you. Thanks. You as well. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.